welcome again to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the professional photographer or videographer. It's been a while since you've done that. Yeah, well, I, I don't even remember what I used to say. But uh, yeah, here we are in Las Vegas with Jordan Drake doing our annual video episode because it's oh, NAB time. Absolutely. Always fun to be here. Yeah. Which I think last year was our least listened to episode because uh, it was video. Yeah. Apparently it's all photographers to listen. But, yeah. Uh, this is the year we're going to break through. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> our, our 10% video listenership is going to go through the roof. Yeah. Um, Cameron just hit the skip button there <laughs> when he watches this later. But we're in, uh, where are we? We're in Vegas. It is NAB, which is the National Association of Broadcasters. It's the big video conference in North America. It's the biggest in the world, I think. Yeah, I imagine it is. It At the very like, least, like maybe not in terms of people, but this is where everything gets announced that's right. really important. You, uh, usually. <laughs> I, spoiler. Yes, spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, not much happened this year. <laughs> it was really bizarre. But yeah. we're just opening the show. Should we, we, we shouldn't Hang give on. that away. Okay. We shouldn't let anybody know that this is quite a boring year. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay, cut. Cut. Yeah. Right, there we go. Um, okay, but it, it wasn't all that boring. Uh, what was exciting to you, Jordan? There, it was all on the accessory side. There's a lot of lighting stuff that I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go down in order of importance in terms of what's going to get people excited, and it's cameras followed by lenses. Still nothing really that exciting on Lensland, although mm-hmm. we can roll back around to Canon's new thing. But uh, lots of cool stuff on the lighting front, um, which is where I spent a lot of time. Okay, so photographers use lighting too, right? So, yes, hey, this-, this is totally applicable to them, and yeah. constant lighting is actually really catching on for photographers who want to do that movie looking thing where you just mm-hmm. light the set you let your models pass around in it it's kind of more of an environmental portrait looking mm-hmm. aesthetic constant light's great for that i've wanted to be able to move to a like full-time constant light setup for a while uh it seems like it's always going to be more expensive mm-hmm. are we still in that uh, it, situation well for the really high outputs that's what's really come down this year mm-hmm. and constant light is still generally more expensive but you know like hive brought out something that they're I mean, they're advertising it's equivalent to a 10,000-watt LED mm-hmm. bulb, or 10,000-watt um, uh, tungsten light bulb um, that draws less than 1,000 watts. So it's something you could plug into, like, a household thing. And generally, yeah, if you're cool. using lights of that kind, you're also rolling out, like, a giant profession, like an industry generator mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and these are going to be daylight balanced. These are just daylight balanced, yeah. which is their big difference from the other hive lights. Well, and that has been another, like, traditionally a slowdown for photographers wanting to do, you know, mixed constant lighting. is like, okay, well... Your color you, temperatures aren't going to balance out. Yeah, and, and you don't want to... Photographers don't want to go to as much work as video people because the video usually have a team. Yeah. So if you're going to gel a bunch of lights, you've got some friends to do it. Yeah. Whereas for stills, a lot more often it's just you. Yeah. And you're not going to... You can't spend that time uh, setting up as much gear. You can't carry as much gear. So. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I do think there's a reason that suddenly this explosion in popularity of daylight balance light happened the same time DSLRs started shooting video. Mm-hmm. And all these photographers jumped right. on it, and they're like, we don't want to have to worry about gelling all these lights mm-hmm. and messing around with that stuff. So it does make a lot of sense for that. Um, the other nice thing with the uh, high output that I, stuff I saw at the stores, it generally runs pretty cool. Because um, I always, when you're dealing with a big light source, you're worried about heat, mm-hmm. fires, things like that. That, okay. again, photographers never really have to stress about. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm working with a small crew, I can't either. So, right. uh, yeah, to see something with this kind of output, which I do actually want to test off a show floor yeah. and see if it's everything they're promising. Well, but. and to break it down, part, uh, another part of the problem 
if, if for photographers that may not be familiar with it, is a lot of the time you're always shooting at a shutter speed of about a 50th of a second. It's, yeah, it's quite for common. 24 frames per second, yeah. And that's very slow for photography. Mm-hmm. But it gives you a huge light advantage, right? So yeah. you can work with a lot less light right. um, comfortably in video. And ISOs are getting higher and higher and higher. Um, yeah. And that's why these are still pretty limited tools. Well, and those high ISOs are uh, often less visible, like mm-hmm. because your the, your image your output is smaller. Yeah, right? like a, the resolution. Yeah, like of if video you can see a bit of noise in a twenty-one megapixel image, when you downsample that to two megapixels, there's not going to be much it's noise gone. there. Yeah. yeah, which is why a lot of these cameras that are super sampling, like your A seven R two, super samples from the center area, it's taking a fourteen megapixel image and saving an eight megapixel one, which smooshes a lot of that noise out of there. Right, um, right, and that's why they're getting so good. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This NAB, there, we didn't see that light that's going to revolutionize mm-hmm. that lower end. You know, the smaller set where you're not throwing as right. much light around. Yeah, I want like a, a, a Alien Bees revolution. For there's uh, no Alien Bees equivalent yeah. on video land yet. But but a lot of the cheaper ones, like there has been a lot more cheap like LED panels, for example. Yeah. But they often have problems. Like they are not well white balanced no uh, and the generally color spectrum is poor the yeah like you'll have a light that is daylight balanced right on the nose and you'll get a magenta or a green spike on it because we mm-hmm. don't color balance for those yeah. uh, and that's really starting to get smoothed out um, i was looking at i love these you know some companies are calling them shadowless boxes mm-hmm. photodocs calls them flapjacks these big round leds i'm just in love with them as a light source yeah uh, you've talked about them a few times they seem great you showed me and like yeah it looks like it really the works. quality of light so they're, I think that's one of the things is the quality of light is it's nothing you can really advertise because no one wants to be like our lights were terrible before <laughs> now and now good. they're yeah. less usable. terrible yeah. yeah your skin tones are less horrendous with right. our new model but I am definitely seeing like on that lower end spectrum the quality across the board is coming up mm-hmm. and you know, just stand. There was a lot of times where you'd go stand by a cheap light booth before, where you could see the green in the skin with your own eyes before you even took yeah. a picture. Yeah. And I don't see much of that right. these days. So things are definitely moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think hybrid lighting is something that a lot of photographers should start getting a bit more comfortable with yeah. because the guys I know who are good at it are getting a lot of those big ad campaigns where it's photo and motion simultaneously. I feel like Peter Hurley's promoted this a lot um because he's only talking about stills mm-hmm. i don't know do you follow him at all do yeah you know yeah. yeah okay uh you know he's pretty popular on the internet Google mm-hmm. him if you haven't heard of him and he does this headshot uh educational stuff and he's all about the uh kino flows yeah and now he has a new lighting kit from westcott uh you saw that, right? Yeah, the, well, their Flex Light, yeah, which he's got his own version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah he does like light a kit. So it's really interesting if you haven't seen it. This is not an NAB I didn't see yet, yeah. but it's relevant. So uh, um, uh, They had it at Westcott, so let's say that this, this was unleashed at NAB. But it's really beautiful. It's these really thin, you know, like um, less than half an inch thin. Yeah, uh, piece flexible. Of, yeah, basically a piece of fabric, like mm-hmm. thick fabric that you can bend and shape, and it kind of locks into shape, and with a bunch of movable LEDs on top of it. And it's a really great way to light. Not tons of output, but... I mean, even on the small ones, it is still a thousand watts, which, you know, if you think of when we were using big traditional soft boxes, that would be a giant box and we're getting it off of this little strip. Right. 
But there's a major problem with needlepoint lighting with those because mm. all of the LEDs have to be really far apart so you can actually bend it. Oh, so you have okay. to diffuse the hell out of those lights, yeah. and then you're cutting your output way down right. um, in order to get away from that effect. Yeah, but, disclaimer. but where they're great is um, the film I was shooting in the summer, we stuck them inside of lampshades as a practical mm. on-set mm-hmm. light. Mm-hmm. Now your little tungsten light is a 1K that's blowing daylight balanced yeah, yeah. again, so we don't have to worry about color temperature, well, skin tones totally going wonky. See that being useful. Stick it on the ceiling, like you can just gaff tape it. I don't use I don't use light stands with those. Well, the frames. ones you were showing me the other day. So the Peter Hurley ones are pretty large. They're kind of like they would replace a Kino flow. They're like yeah, long, long strips. strips. Yeah. But what you had in store at the camera store the other day was the little. It's just a little one by, one foot by one foot. Panel. Yeah, and those would be easy to just stick absolutely anywhere yeah and that's why i've really kind of fallen in love with those guys as opposed to one big light source i mean they really do make the traditional light panels look enormous by comparison yeah which is funny because those are already so small yeah it's funny a lot of people will look at this thing and be like this is eight hundred dollars um but the big panel over there is also eight hundred dollars and it's like yeah so isn't that an awesome deal on the strip (laughs) but everyone's like it's so small and light it must cost two hundred dollars so what is the type of lighting people should be looking at right now if they want to get into especially say a photographer yeah maybe they're moving into doing some video as well what type of light not necessarily brand but like what are the options that we should look at the most well the major thing is you're going to get a lot more soft light on a lower budget if you're for if you're getting started because those big led panels they're generally all going to be a pretty flat diffused kind of light once mm-hmm. you modify them you can't i mean it's not like you can snoot them or you know right. anything like that um so my favorite pack would be you know like um those shadowless leds which yep. i love um, a standard panel makes a great fill, and you can get them for cheap right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. But then we are seeing single-point lighting finally coming back because uh, it used to be if you wanted something that looked like a speed light or like a strobe, yeah. it was you bought hot lights and you irritated your talent and your models and everything right. like that. But single-point lighting was really expensive for the longest time, and now we're starting to see some of those come down. Uh, I saw a beautiful light by Aperture that throws uh, a 1500 watt equivalent output single point light for 450 bucks oh, um, that sounds excellent a- aperture is the brand uh aperture aperture oh, i was gonna say because aperture is a that word already means yeah something. yeah <laughs> exactly you can't tm that <laughs> yeah uh, we've, we've called our brand camera <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's a badly named company that's doing what i like to call the sigma thing does it have the word poo in it I, it does sure. have aputer well, no it's a p u t u r e okay yeah um really terribly named <laughs> i can keep dwelling on that <laughs> i'm sorry i totally derailed this no it's all good i don't even remember what we're talking about um what they've done that's really interesting is they were mm-hmm. a cheap budget uh, line just like knock off Chinese lights that kind of thing yeah um, and then new management was like no we want to make professional things so you've probably heard of the light storm lights um, I haven't but okay. tell me all about it they're just regular panel lights but the color quality is beautiful on them mm-hmm. um, they have a nice little v-lock battery separate from the light they're really small and thin um, and that was kind of their first thing that's like, hey, we make really good products. And since then, they've brought, yeah, these new spots that are beautiful-looking lights, a bunch of cheap, soft panels that, again, are beautiful color on them. And now they're getting into, like, electronic follow focus and stuff like that, higher-end stuff, um, 
that's really good competing with the stuff that's two, three times its price. So somebody's going to set aside a budget to get into a um, hybrid system, a uh, constant system. Like, what? How much money should they have ready to spend? You could get started under two. I th- I really think for a three point light that's like a high quality. You c- you know you can learn start learning to light with constant light for a lot less than that. But if it's something that you're going right. to give, you know, as and you want a quality of light similar to what you'd get with, like you said, your alien bees, speed lights, even because mm-hmm. um, strobes generally have awesome color. Yeah. Um, to get something similar, you could get a good three point light set up for a couple hundred bucks. One panel, one shadowless box, and one of those Philex single point okay. lights, or the new aperture one. By a couple hundred bucks, I assume you don't mean two hundred bucks. I mean, 2000 2000 yeah. yes. <laughs> Sorry, I've been at NAB where yeah. everything's really expensive, and I've lost all perspective of money now. No, 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 that's, that's not an unreasonable price. All right, so back to the show floor, though. Uh, again, there was – so to, to sum it up for anybody that isn't following online, there weren't any big camera announcements. Nothing. This is something that has often happened at NAB. Is like a, Every year there's one big camera that yeah. changes everything. And nobody – had even a small camera that changed anything. No, it just, um, I mean, we saw a lot of, it's funny, kind of ENG-style cameras, the old small-chip broadcast cameras, Mm -hmm. which no one cares about anymore, you know, um, except news gathering, stuff like that. And even those guys are moving away. Well, and there's this ENG-style Canon lens you referred to, uh, 18 to... 80? Yeah, everybody's talking about it because generally... Because there's nothing else to talk about? That, I think that's a big part of it. When it, yeah. it first announced, everybody was like, that's kind of interesting. And then when we realized we had nothing else to talk about, we were like, Kept what a cool lens. Yeah. Well, and I expect it's especially uninteresting to our audience who isn't going to spend how much? $5,000. $5,000 on a lens that is F4. Yeah. It is not full frame. Yep. Uh, so to a photographer, this sounds like a nightmare. Why would you ever do this? Right. Um, just give us a really quick, like, why is this interesting at all? Well, to put it into perspective, um, Fuji's had a Cabrio lens that's been very popular. It's like mm-hmm. the budget move, cinema zoom for, you know, big sensor cameras. And it's been $26,000. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Um, and it's optically okay. It's not a bad lens. But then Canon brought out a $5,000 lens, an 18 to 80 um, and what sets a cinema lens apart from a still lens are stuff that doesn't matter to photographers, really. Uh, when you look at a lens like that, if you zoom, your focus won't shift. Uh, so for photographers, generally, we zoom. It's not a problem to refocus the shot, or if you're in continuous focus, the camera takes care of it for you. But if you're manually focusing, zoom in on someone and you want to slowly zoom away from them, and they fall out of focus when you do that, you know, it can ruin a shot, and it's very difficult to correct that right. yourself. Um, so a lens that they call a parfocal lens, uh, which this is, is really desirable for that. You can push in on a subject from a distance off and have them maintain focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a pro- it's minimizes breathing a lot, too, which photographers are actually starting to complain about now. The Nikon 70-200 to 200 yeah. is it's, famous for it. It's so bad that even photographers notice. Yeah, they're like, wait, this is not 200 <laughs> millimeters. It's like, here. This is like 135 millimeters um, on this lens. So this is... Um, when you're focusing this, you're not going to see the frame shift at all, uh, which is really important for video. Right. Yeah. Nothing worse than someone walks into the frame, you pull focus, and it looks like you're doing a 70s style crash zoom. <laughs> you yeah. know, something yeah. like Django Unchained or something. Right. Um, and getting this in this kind of price point is pretty much unheard of. Sony brought out a 28 to 135 last year, uh, but it was designed for full frame, and most movie cameras are not 
photographic full frame. All right. Well, I'm still not very interested. <laughs> but, I mean, so, okay. I did really enjoy that one time I rented the Sony version from you. The, what is that one? The, uh, that's the 28135 I was just mentioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That was the same one. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed it way more than I expected. It is mm-hmm. this kind of lens. And I was like, this is, this is so boring. Right. But while you're using it, life feels easy. Yeah. Like it you just, just works. Kind of, yeah. You just kind of move through the shoot very uh, quickly and, and painlessly. And um, yeah, we're also accustomed to being slowed down by photographic lenses because mm-hmm. that's what most people yeah. use mm-hmm. for the, the last few years that when you get something that's actually designed for that tool, it does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing, that, like one thing that I really enjoyed about it was the longer throw of focus. Like you have, it's, yeah, it's yeah. 180 degree focus, exactly. throw, which is perfect. Yeah. So it means you have a lot more, room when you're manually focusing between the furthest and closest parts yeah, of the subject. Like if I'm doing a compressed scene with two people talking to each yeah. other and I'm shooting it on a long lens, you nudge that lens a millimeter and you're going to go totally off one person exactly, into the middle yeah. of nowhere. While well, that's why we got this trend as DSLR video became popular, like the kind of, I was going to call it breathing, but that means something else, but the, the in and out focus all the time of yeah. really shallow depth of field and you're constantly refocusing to find it. I don't think it was a visual trend. I think no. it was just all people could do. It was just very difficult. Yeah, yeah even a trained focus puller. Yeah. Uh, we've got it in uh, one of our episodes where we've got a guy indexing Pentax lenses. Mm-hmm. And we're doing this long, like, 10-foot dolly track on it. And he puts the focus marks on it, and they're less than a millimeter apart. <laughs> he had to draw diagonal arrows pointing to the two different parts. Right. They were so close together on it. It's crazy. And, yeah, having a lens that's built too quickly... Let, or not quickly uh, let you yeah. make a nice yeah, smooth right. pull makes Precise a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but I've started to shoot almost entirely above F4. Like F4 is my standard now and often I'm at five, six and this is for stills as well. Yeah. Uh, and usually 2.8 as low as I'll go. Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah, wide open, well, I mean, photography has been trendy for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, you throw a lot of money at glass, and that's where you wind up. But you look at a lot of the most famous lit stuff. You know, I don't think it's out of necessity because the lights are so powerful that that's all shot at five six f eight. Yeah. It's that it lets you look around the frame a little bit. Right. It gives your subject. You know, you can knock the background out of focus and draw your subject to where they want to be, but you still want to have some sense of place. Yeah, and- I mean, it's a bit of a shortcut. Yeah, we talked about this. This part we talked about of that. Um- it's a it's a crutch to not if you don't want to spend yeah, the, the time lighting yeah. and like composing and um, you want to bring focus to like visual focus to one mm-hmm. part of the frame. It's really easy to do it through uh, yeah just shallow depth of field. But there are other ways. Again, um, generally a lot more interesting and effective ways yeah. through like composition or your lighting mm-hmm. or something to tell people where to look. Yeah. Um, and if you only have one thing in focus, it's not a picture that people are gonna take time with it's not something that's going to stay with them for very long because they don't have to think about it they're Mm -hmm. like oh it's a picture of someone's face Mm -hmm. where you bring some environment into it or something like that people might look around to figure out context of the image and stuff like that i find really shallow depth of field stuff pretty boring a lot of the time right this is just one thing to see which is why i shoot with wide angle lenses so much too well so i've uh maybe we'll move a little towards the follow-up for the sony a7r yeah because we have nothing to talk about it uh, so yeah. let's well, go back to I, I can think of some things but okay we'll we'll, we'll, we'll roll back for around. a minute okay. um so i got and, and i bought it from you and thank you very much for that mm. um but i got the 28 millimeter sony yeah 2.0 with it 
which uh, a lot of the motivation was that it's well here's my thinking it was rel- it was relatively cheap which is great <laughs> uh and it's still very sharp it's been an excellent lens and it's uh kind of similar to my iPhone right that's what i was thinking about is like i've been shooting my iPhone a lot lately i really like iPhone photos mm-hmm. why not have a big sensor iPhone lens yeah um and it's worked great for that and it's worked especially great for video with it because on the a7r you want to shoot in cropped mode like you were mentioning earlier to get the best uh output for video Mm -hmm. so a lot of the times it's a 35 which is like a that's a very normal lens for video it's not even yeah not even wide no um and yeah i i've been so happy with that lens then also uh in terms of shooting stills i was doing street style at toronto fashion week and i used the 20 millimeter a lot for it which yeah. i don't know if you ever look at street style photos but that's a weird lens to shoot street style with typically like 85 yeah or 50 is the most common thing you'll see yeah out something there. with some more compression yeah like a lot yeah uh and it was really fun like, yeah i really liked it and it's funny because i'm looking at my a7s sitting over on the bed there that i was going to film an episode with and it's got the same lens on it because yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, for the exact same reasons, you know, for this kind of stuff, it's about bringing the environment in mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more. And it is such a small, light, sharp, cheap lens. Yeah, yeah uh, and it, like tw- 28 millimeters is 28 and 35, which is effectively what I end up having. I'll just end up, I'll switch between cropped and not cropped mm-hmm. on the A7R, depending on what I'm shooting. Yeah. And uh, those two are really useful. Like, that's actually a kind of a, a great zoom range. I'm, yeah. I'm doing air quotes for zoom, but um, it's funny. I almost think like the phone manufacturers did more market research on right, what we yeah. actually want than what us photographers have been saying. Yeah, if you had asked a photographer what lens to put on an iPhone, they would have put like a fifty millimeter. On yeah, there. exactly. Or, or my bag has always maybe, been yeah. a twenty-four, a thirty-five, and a fifty. And mm-hmm. I've in the last little while found myself using a twenty-eight constantly. Yeah. More, it's, I, it's much more useful than 24 to me. I often find 24 is too wide. Yeah. Yeah, and 24 goes back to video because I love the way that movement looks at that right, focal okay, length. Yeah. But for photography, yeah, I find I've got my 24 mil lens in my bag because I don't have much wider, and then I crop the image afterwards. Right, and right. Where 28 just feels right. And right. I'm sure a lot of that goes back to shooting with the cell phone, same as you. Yeah, yeah. Where I've gotten more used to thinking that way. But yeah, I love it. It's such a great focal length. Yeah. Uh, I've been incredibly happy with it. Now there's also the new 50mm from yeah, Sony. Yeah, another cheap lens. Uh, that is news, if not uh, NEB news. And um, have you tried it yet? Have you seen No, I was person? supposed to go down to San Francisco and test it, but we kind of said like enough travel <laughs> for <laughs> right now. Um, and it's kind of interesting. It does a really weird thing where when you're shooting with that lens, let's say at those smaller apertures that you're using, f5.6, anything like that, uh, it doesn't open up before. Uh, it ta- Like an SLR lens okay. is wide open until right. you're about to take the exposure and then stops down. Yeah. So with this one, you're now focusing. If you're set to 5.6, the camera's focus system is working at f5.6. Oh, interesting. Okay. So low light focus seems pretty rocky with it is oh. what I found. I was playing with it on the show floor today a little oh, bit. That's too bad. Um, but it's by far the cheapest Sony lens, and it seems sharp. Wait, okay, so low light is bad. You're at 5.6, but you wouldn't be shooting at 5.6 if the light is low, right? Generally not, but... But that's... Okay, so that's the thing. It, uh, so but, in but good, if you've got a Sony, light at 5.6... Because I have a Sony A7S there, and one yeah. of my favorite things about that is if I want to shoot a picture at f8 and I'm indoors, I'll crank up the ISO, and, okay, yeah. um, and I've got that freedom. 
where right. that's eliminated a lot if the camera can't focus at all okay. before I, I push the shutter. Yeah. Uh, well, and so more things about the seminar that I've loved is the autofocus. Like, I never thought I'd use autofocus for video so much, but I use it yeah. constantly. Like, even if it's just focusing before I shoot, um, I'm rarely in manual focus where I'm used to using Canons and I only can manually focus. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I... Uh, I would only shoot manual if I know I'm going to do a focus pull. If I know that I'm going to need to move through it at some point. Right. Other than that, I either lock it into like single focus or um, single subject focus so that it yep. you know focuses once, locks on. Um, or you know if I'm walking around, I use continual focus and that works. Great. Reason, yeah, it does do a nice job. And the face detect is actually pretty good yeah, on the totally. R2. Uh, I and use that a lot. There's a firmware update that I haven't done yet uh, that does it. No. Minor tweak? I, no, I no, no. It, 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 it like changes the... Uh, did you do it? Do you know what I'm talking I about? haven't done it, no. Oh, okay. I th- I, it's supposed to be a pretty big deal. It changes the autofocus in video mode to what? It was? Is it that it was just contrast detection and now it's face detection? Oh, yes. They, so they've added face detection. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I thought that was more on the um, A7 II as opposed oh, okay. to the R2. But if it's on the R2, that's great. Because yeah. the 6300 yes. uses phase detect, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, yeah, so I'm hoping, and I was I was pretty happy with it already. I'm like, okay, yeah. this is good enough. This is great. Uh, and if it's going to get better, then amazing. <laughs> I'll use it even more. It's funny because I was so disappointed with autofocus for the longest time. Uh, I just ignored it completely. But mm-hmm. gimbals have kind of made me go back to using it once in a while because it is cool to change the distance of your focus subject right. in a moving shot. And, yeah, with the new Sonys, the R2, the 6300, and... Uh, the Canon ADD, like, yeah, I think we're getting to the point where video autofocus is going to start to become a usable tool again. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm still going to manually focus because I'm completely ADD, and if I see sure. it drift from an eye to a nose in a shot, that mm-hmm. drives me crazy. But uh, for tracking shots, you'll never see those minor shifts in focus because yeah. uh, your camera's moving and the image is... You know, if you watch it, it's blurry, so you yeah. never notice that little drift. Well, so the things I've been using it for, uh, like the most recent sample you can check out on my Vimeo or Anya's YouTube, is uh, our trip to Tofino. So when I'm doing that, everything is run, like really run and gun. I I have so much gear that I could not carry any stabilizer. I have to ha- just handhold right. the Sony, and I'm in a rush, and I don't. I, I don't have time to think about it, and it's all that was all auto focused, and thank God it was because it's the only way that it all worked out. Right. It, it um, it really got most of it most of the time. I was really happy with that aspect of it. Yeah, it's it's and it's going to keep getting better, which yeah. is uh, I, the nice thing is we are seeing that dedication of firmware in the last mm-hmm. little bit. So thank you Fuji for making that a trend that <laughs> everybody. Yeah, they started that whole ball rolling, but yeah, all of these cameras are better now than when they launched. Right. Um, another thing we were talking about just before this started was the performance of S-Log yeah. on it. Uh, and I was asking you a bit about uh, the noise compression. I noticed that it, if I shoot in regular mode, so uh, I was using the Autumn Leaves yeah. preset in the in the Sony, it For was the Canon-y color. Yeah, it was uh, it was cleaning up all the noise a lot. Yeah. So my final image was really smooth, mm-hmm. um, and all the noise is still present in S Log. So uh, why why do they do the, like why can't it pr- process the signal and maintain the dynamic range? Is it just because they assume you're going to do it in post? Well, it's funny on the still cameras, even though that's going to be the more 
accessible, more common thing for consumers, there's no noise reduction on that log file at all, yeah. it seems. Uh, and you can see there's kind of a really sharp point where it goes from no noise whatsoever to you start to see that noise in those lower midtones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an amount of noise that once removed, it's, it's fine. Like yeah. It's not a little bit of noise removal does totally clean it up. It's yeah, it's very consistent, predictable noise, the stuff that cleans up really well. But yeah, that makes you think like, why isn't this being done to the image or at least something you can turn on and off? Well, and especially because it takes much longer for my computer to do that processing of noise removal Mm -hmm. than it does for the camera to do it. To do it in real time. Yeah. yeah. If I add a layer of noise removal in premiere or whatever I'm going to be exporting from my export times go way up. Yes. Yeah. Noise removal is one of the most expensive things to do on your like CPU on your GPU. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, but well, it's funny because their pro cameras, the FS seven and the FS five people were crying out for the longest time. They wanted noise reduction in the FS seven and they got it recently in a in firmware update S-log? in log recording. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then the FS five had it always on by mm-hmm. default you couldn't turn it off, mm-hmm. which sometimes led to some weird image issues. They've worked on both of those, but on the still side, we're still stuck with the noise right. being on, there. On and off would be the best. but Yeah, but what I've been doing a lot is, you know, the S-Log is for high dynamic range shots. Yeah. I know I'm going into it. It's going to take more time in post, but that's where you see the benefits of it. If you don't have a high contrast shot, I've been shooting especially the stuff for the camera store TV that's really quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. I've been shooting so much in Picture Profile 6, uh, yeah. just you know, letting go of the log. And uh, you know, I know I'm going to throw some bits of uh, highlighter shadows away, but I don't think people are obs- as obsessed about making sure there's some detail in the highlights as I am. Yeah. Uh, if that, that really bothered bit. people, shooting on white wouldn't yeah. be nearly as popular as mm-hmm. it is. Right. Uh, so if the highlights aren't important, you know, I've just kind of come to a point where it's like I'll get less noise in the image. It's less time in post. Mm-hmm. I still get a nice look, nice colors off of it in that mode. You know, another thing, a processing thing I've really been appreciating is that uh, the recent time I was shooting, I, had, I was mixing some footage with the Canon G7X and the Sony A7R2. And... Um, the G7X does some really intense image stabilization that is, I'm pretty certain it's both like the lens is stabilized and then there's, there's also some software. digital stuff going on too. And yeah. I'm like, I'm so grateful for it because it does an awesome job. Uh, so I, what I've found, what I've realized, and a lot of this I think is probably the difference between full frame and a smaller sensor. Maybe mm-hmm. that like rolling shutter is more pronounced. Yeah. But like I can't, I can't stabilize the Sony anywhere near what I can, the little cannon. So yeah. doing just like walking around handheld stuff mm-hmm. has this like pretty floaty, nice feel on the G7X. Yeah. And it's much more you know rough as you would expect on the A7R. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that stabilizer's in there to help you with that. But the fact that it's a big shutter uh, or a big sensor. Yeah. Um, I, that actually, I, I, as I was saying it out loud, I realized the reason. I was about to ask you why, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's the, that's exactly, the sensor yeah. size. Yeah. Well, and what's making it a little bit worse, uh, we were talking about this before it rolled as well, is these cameras are doing full sensor readout, which I love. And you think about the processing involved. It's taking, you know, your R2 is taking a 14 megapixel still, mm-hmm. shrinking it down to 8 megapixel 4K. 30 times a second. It's a crazy amount of processing, but it gives you a very sharp image, very little noise to it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then the A6300 that I'm getting is 24 megapixels. It's shrinking down to 8 in real time while it's doing that. But the trade-off is that process of scanning that entire area means that rolling shutter is getting worse and worse and worse and worse with every generation of camera that Mm. we get now. Um, It does drive me crazy to a degree. Um, I I have another question to ask you. Why is it so slow on my A7R to write files, especially in burst mode? So even... Uh, I wish I had both here and I'd show you, but like if I take the Canon point and shoot, which is a what seven hundred dollar camera, mm-hmm. if yeah. that, and the uh, Canadian, <laughs> and yeah. the and the uh, A seven R two is a uh, you know forty two hundred yeah. now, yeah, yeah. Or four thousand dollars, and I shoot them both on burst mode. I need to wait ten, twenty, thirty seconds, yeah, for the Sony to write the files to the card. And the Canon is getting through it a lot faster. And this is even if I'm shooting in um, reduced RAW sizes. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's still a little too long um, if I'm shooting JPEG as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's the amount of processing that these cameras are doing mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, they're fixing lens issues, um, chromatic aberration they're fixing in real time. Right, yeah. Like the, the 28 has a lot of distortion when it's not fixed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that on the last episode, and I wanted to. Disclaimer, anybody buying the 28, if you shoot raw, there's massive barrel distortion. And it's going to freak you out until you click the little check mark in Lightroom exactly. that fixes that. You have to click it. Yeah. There, there's, there's no, you can't use this lens otherwise. And it's, it's funny because I don't even think to say that anymore because you shoot primarily with DSLRs. Right. Most of those lenses are optically corrected, but mirrorless, pretty much any lens wider than a 50 has a lot of distortion. Oh, that's a, why is that a mirrorless thing? I don't know. I didn't know that. Bec- I don't know. It's <laughs> because there are a lot of newer lens designs, I think. Interesting. But even if you look at some new ultra-wide angle lenses, they seem better corrected for the DSLRs. Yeah. Um, I think a big part of it is that desire to make them as small and light as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so when doing that, they're like, well, the hardest thing for us to fix without adding more lens is distortion. So let's leave the distortion in. It doesn't affect the sharpness. Right. And we can make the lens small, fix it in software. Yeah, I mean, my guess is like, yeah, we can make a smaller, cheaper lens and fix it later. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. It, honestly, that, that is still by far my biggest complaint. And it's meaning that the A7R two is relegated more and more to being a video-only camera for me. I it it causes it causes real world problems when I try to use it for stills. Like I get stuck in certain situations where I'm just like looking at a spinning at a beach ball, uh, right. waiting for my files to write before I can see what they turned out like or show the people I'm shooting with or whatever. Like it's well, it's embarrassing when it's not there. Yeah. Well, and if somebody wants to really quickly check, like yeah, you're um, what's the word I'm looking for? The person chipping. Who- no, no, you're like creative director thing, or, yeah. or any Producer, that that yeah. person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then that's the environment I'm usually working in, actually, because like I shoot with Anya all the time, and so I need to show her. It's like shoot, yeah. shoot, shoot. Let's take a look, and it, yeah, it's it's non-functional when you need to wait, and that sitting next to us is a much cheaper camera that can do it more quickly. So yeah. when it's funny, we it's so strange. shooting with the six four five Z, where before I was like, those card write times can be a real headache. Uh, I was using it again, and I'm like, this isn't so bad, because <laughs> the A7R2 has kind of reconditioned so me. That, that's what you think it is, though? It's processing. It's not. I was wondering if it's like just a SD card limitation. Like just a slow... I mean, it seems like it shouldn't be, because it needs U3 cards to shoot yeah. 4K video. I think it's how aggressively it's processing those right. images. Um, that kind of brings me to something I wanted to talk about, because you've 
been off air for a little while mm-hmm. here, is going outside of the NAB situation for stills. Um, you have tweeted opinions that I haven't heard on the podcast necessarily. Oh, which ones? I, I remind me what I said. Uh, something about how it doesn't feel like a camera. It's like using a calculator <laughs> no, or yeah, something I, like yeah, that. Yeah, so it's like shooting the uh, TV remote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just... I think everybody's complained about Sony's. They just are fidgety and clunky, like in ways that I know you are also familiar with. Of There's a million buttons, and the fact that they're assignable isn't desirable to me. I've found it to be... I've assigned them in the way that I like, mm-hmm. but it's frustrating that, you know, the, the way that Canon has laid out their buttons, I've never wanted to reprogram them. Right. I've just been, like, completely happy with the way they are. The way the Sony came out of the box didn't make any sense. I was never going to use it that way, and I had to try a million different things to find a yeah. layout that pretty much works for me. And then trying to find the menu to reprogram yeah. those is yeah. very... And and the most, com- the most common thing I'm changing uh, is the... Um, crop mode that yeah, I was talking which about. which you can't video, customize. And you can't assign that to a button. It's like the one thing that there's no button for. So, yeah, I, I'm usually wanting to jump in and out of that that crop setting, and I, I have to go into menus. Yeah. Um, it's, I think, because I came looking at those initially as video tools. That's how I first started using the 7 Series and then gradually drifted into using them and uh, as photography yeah. cameras as well. I think that kind of... Um, numbed me a little bit to that switch over, mm-hmm. but I do the same. My wife is the same way. You know, she'll grab a Nikon DSLR and go shoot any kind of jobs or whatever. But I could bring home an A7R2, and you know, the, the metering is totally off or whatever. And yeah. it's it's not a camera you can pass to your photography buddy and say like, go take some pictures because they have no idea how you've customized it. How no, things are actually, programmed. yeah, that's a big problem about it. If yeah. you have a camera that every single person has customized it differently, yeah. Like I, so yeah, like you're probably not like here, Anya. Take the camera for a minute. No, and well, and that's the thing. She actually can't really shoot with it because she would need to be using it all the time to be comfortable with it. The yeah. buttons aren't labeled. She can't just look at what it is. Right. Um, and so she's just like, okay, this is your camera. Like, I'm not interested. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. There's, but the, the images, it's easy to gripe. But with, as with anything, it's always easier to complain. Mm-hmm. Um, the images are kind of perfect they are much sharper than the 5d like i tested same lens yeah um both as in focus as possible at f8 and the sony downsized to ma- like dance sampled to the, the same, final to yeah. match the canon was much sharper like looked like i had blurred the canon it was right. really interesting yeah and how are you finding the color because that was the other thing I yeah was- um i still don't really mind it yeah. I mean, it is kind of weird, but I find it just it comes out as a wash in the end once you've thrown your processing on top of it. Like, who cares? Yeah, it, that, that's exactly where I've been at. You know, yeah. I, I keep hearing the gripes about it, but you just have to be aware with the Sony, you have to play with tint, yeah. which you never have to do with the yeah. Canon. Well, and also the uh, auto white balance is not... It's not good. ...trustworthy. Auto exposure is not as consistent. So if I'm just sitting and, like, shooting the same place same environment over and over shoot 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 yeah uh then i review the photos there's a lot more jumping up and down with exposure so yeah more often i'm locking onto auto so the things that the way that i've summed it up in my head i forget if i said this on the last episode because i've been saying it ever since i got the camera but is that uh, the limitations it has make me think of it like in a uh, medium format camera 
Right. The same, the advantages and the limitations. So yeah, you got like really big files and really high quality and lots of dynamic range. You know, these are all traditionally medium format benefits. Uh, the downsizes are that it's slower to work with. Right. Um, it's more like fidgety. It's got you got to be gentle with it. Um, you know, it's so to me, it's a it's a studio camera and a video camera. Right. That's what it's gonna come down to. So yeah, no, it's it's interesting because so much was made of the autofocus on it as well. Um, do you find that you can do? It? What I much. love about the autofocus is the accuracy. It is yeah. ac- it, when it gets the spot, it is correct. Are you using the eye detect or anything like that um, in the studio? Usually, I'm just using the face detect. Yeah, and it's been that's been great. But and, and another uh, difficulty in my tests is I only have the 28 Sony lens right now. Right. So when I'm testing with the Canons, I can't. The autofocus is it's not good enough. I mean, yeah, I know they added autofocus like it. Um, it can it can get me to a starting point like it can find focus and then i can start shooting but i can't yeah i can't trust it at all right um i was trying to shoot stills with it the other day too and it was like just hunting and hunting and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna use autofocus with my cannons um, right the, but the accuracy with the sony's so i think it's, i'll get a 52 yeah um but it's dead on it is yeah. much more accurate than the cannons which that's a huge advantage like right. i am really frustrated a lot of the time that the cannons in, are inaccurate they're yeah. qu- quick to find focus and it's pretty close but the fact that the sony is um almost as quick but exactly accurate yeah. is a huge selling point. It is really, really nice. Well, it was funny because we I tested the Canon 80D recently, which is a great, well-rounded camera. Mm-hmm. But I've gotten so used to mirrorless that I didn't do. We were using long lenses, and I didn't do autofocus micro adjustments with it, mm-hmm. which you have to do with a higher resolution DSLR at this point because okay, right. uh, I'm just not used to having to think about that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and everything was front focused. And then I switched to a Sigma lens and everything was back focused. Yeah. And when I'm in the studio, like I've been taking a pile of studio portraits of my kid. Cause that's what you do when you have a baby is, uh, yeah. Just having that, you know, every shot I throw it in eye detect is in focus yeah. with an 85 mil one four lens, yeah. which is crazy. 80 yeah, with a lens yeah, like that on a DSLR, really I'd pop 10 shots and it's like one of these, that eye is going to be perfect. We're in this really weird place where these cameras are giving us some better things like, you know, things we could only dream of with an SLR. And then <laughs> the downsides are so big. Like yeah. we're in this very strange in between place and I'm sure they will, start to come together and match each other in various ways. And we'll have some kind of, I think this photokina is going to be the big crossover yeah. point, uh, which we can talk about, uh, when that guy comes out, yeah. because I'll be heading out there for oh, that cool. show. Yeah. You yeah. can, you can be our uh, man on the ground. The, the German. Yeah. yeah uh, correspondent. The, the, um, the one thing, oh, no, I forgot what that was. Okay. But we're, we're, we're running out of time anyway. So, uh, is there anything else to cover at NAB? I did want to touch on the Blackmagic yes. 4K recorder. It's uh, 900 USD. Yeah, way less than an equivalent Atomos or Convergent Design. Yeah, Fant- really great price. Uh, I saw that it does ProRes, uh, yeah. writes to SD cards. The screen looks really nice on it. So um, is the screen, do you know what resolution the screen is? It's, like- it's not a big bump. It's to, it's very contrasty, but the old one was 1920-1080. This is 1920-1200. So okay. it's like laptop right. HD, okay. uh, which is still good yeah. for a monitor. 
I can check focus with that, no problem. Yeah. And you can zoom in. Uh, but yeah, that price point is really nice. It's not a sexy recorder like an yeah, Odyssey or a Shogun. The interface is very, you know, Windows 3.1 kind <laughs> right. of thing. Uh, but if you're paying half the price, I don't think a lot of people are going to care all that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden it just starts to seem a bit more no brainer to just have one of these kicking around. Um, I mean, even for like something I'd maybe use it for right away would be shooting, uh, direct ProRes, even if I'm only yeah. doing 1080, Yeah, you know, instead of going through, there's no down conversion or anything like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, on the Sony a sevens, you do get a benefit, you know, with color space and things like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, $2,000 is too much for a lot of people to get that little bump in quality, but $900, that's yeah. the price of a lens right. to get that bump in video quality. I think that's going to be a lot easier for a lot yeah. of people to swallow. Um, so yeah, that was a cool little one. Another general trend, this is a lot of what I was looking at at day one, is there's all these companies doing video collaboration software, which is honestly going to revolutionize things. I've been using Frame.io for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been the communication tool with all the video editing stuff I've been doing and getting feedback between people remotely because oh, a, a lot of it has been that I've been working with editors that are in other places right. uh, helping me finish projects and uh, now that I have it which I've only had for six months I don't know how I got any of this done before using like you send a Dropbox link and a bunch of emails it was it was terrible and now you can comment on the exact uh, time code in the edit and uh, you know mark things is completed and you can draw on the screen and now Frame.io just released their Premiere integration which yeah, have you looked at right it? Did you try it? I, I just watched a little video online I didn't make yeah. it to the post it's so cool uh, I already tried it on one project right away and uh, yeah I mean it just means that in your timeline the comments that people are adding in the well in the timeline on the website hmm. come right down into Premiere and you can scroll like scrub the, their comments and it jumps to that point in your timeline, make the edit and re-upload a new version all within Premiere. So you can now use all of your com- communication tools without launching a web browser. That's yeah. It, it's really significant. Like this is going to be how people get things done. Well, one thing I was mildly concerned about, and I wonder if this is going to open up a Pandora's box is, is there going to be an expectation from our clients in the near future that they're much more hands-on with the editing process? I, yeah, the, the the main client project that I was using it on, which is a series of videos, I, you know, they were like, oh, this is really great, like we love working with this, and I was like, yeah, this is really easy to communicate. But by the end, I wondered if I'd received ten times the feedback because of it. Right. There was a lot more conversation, just maybe because conversation was easier. Yeah, I wonder if the tedium of editing this stuff yeah. is gonna kind of make the clients like, well we don't want to watch, you know, we'll check back in six days and right. you can actually get to work. But I can see I mean if this extends to other things. Like if you're let's say you shoot someone's wedding video, how often is that person gonna try to be Yeah. <laughs> if you give them that possibility. So hopefully that's something that but I was yeah thinking about all the great ways I could use this, and then I've thought about the commercial jobs where I've done six re-edits because it gets mm-hmm. approved by one marketing guy and someone else feels like they are, they need to have an opinion about it, a change or something yeah, like they that. Just and this to, makes they it, just need to say it to justify their jobs. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. That that does scare me a little bit. I find but we'll it. See. I I actually like the idea more for internal, like for right. your team to communicate. Totally than uh, passing it to outsiders. Yeah. Uh, but also just throw it out there because Frame.io is not the only one. There's also uh, Whipster and uh, Critique 
or some of the other ones that I looked at. I saw none of that stuff yeah, so far. There's a lot of them out there. I'm going to keep looking. Oh, one more. Uh, no, I can't remember it. Uh, edit share. Um, so uh, these all look amazing. Frame.io has kind of been the like. Yeah, that's the only moving. one that I always hear about. They're doing the most interesting stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, you can just let me know how that goes. Yeah, I'm not going to research those other you. four. <laughs> yeah, please. Thank uh, well, you. And, and I know part of the thing. So Frame.io is the most advanced in like the um, consumer facing stuff. And other ones like Critique, they were more from like an enterprise side. They're more used to working with studios. Right. So that was part of the like. What just happened. how they're packaged and designed. Yeah, exactly. And stuff like that. Um, software stuff. Uh, Premiere has some really nice updates um, like. Uh, color keying yeah. inside Lumetri, just which is... Built right. It's nice. They just keep bumping up that Lumetri tab. It's funny because Resolve's going one way where they're working yeah. more editing stuff into everything. And, and it's then really a race. Like the editing stuff, I was just watching the demo at the end of the day, and uh, the Resolve editing, yeah, it's looking pretty nice. Like I'm not going to go learn it because I'm already in Premiere, um, but it's looking very good. And if somebody were to start from scratch and want to get a free edit... like. Talking to a teenager, yeah, and and they're like, I want to learn to be a video editor. Why? Like, okay, would, this is free. Yeah, you can learn. It's a and, professional suite, and you could use it for life. Yeah, this could be what you grow up using and build a career on it, or you can go get a subscription to uh, Adobe C, uh, Creative Cloud. Yeah. I mean, it's not even an option. They they're they're not going to go pay for a no. Of course not. So. Mom's never going to give them that credit yeah. card. So. Um, and that's a lot of how people got hooked on Photoshop in the first place. I mean, for me personally, mm-hmm. I, I uh, downloaded it and used a free <laughs> version of it for years in college. Um, and that's how I learned how to mess around with it and do things. And then by the time that I had a job, I was happy to pay for it. Right. Um, so, yeah, well, I think last year, actually, when we did this show, I was like, you know, Resolve is really coming along. I think I'm going to try and just cut an entire episode on it oh, just from yeah. scratch. Did you? I did not do that. Yeah, no. So this year, hold me to this. Yeah, okay, I am okay, actually going to take you. a weekend because uh, I've learned some of the color grading stuff in Resolve. Yeah. I have not actually edited a project top to bottom in it. So it, I think it'll be a fun experiment. It looks so good. Also, the interface, it's very friendly now. Like, it's, it's so clean. It's and very beautiful. Final Cut XE, I find, where yeah. it's a very visual layout. Yeah, but for a deep, but for a de- really yeah, exactly. deep software. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still I haven't had time to play with it. Yeah. I know it's good. I know it's, it's sitting on this laptop yeah, right it's, here. It's on all my machines because it's free, and also like the color tools in it just are better. Like yeah. Lumetri is is it, they're trying to get it there, um, but it just does a better job. If I if I just grab the temperature sliders, mm-hmm. they they process nicer in Resolve. Yeah, like the, the, the color. I found the same better, thing. It so. keyframes way nicer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a. You can tell it was built from scratch with image in mind, and then they moved on to editing afterwards. Where Premiere, it was always well, you can edit in our program, then you'll bring it into Resolve to finish it. Yeah. Um, it's totally different priorities, and now they're kind of fighting to be the thing that can do it all. Yeah. And I don't know which one it's actually gonna. It's gonna take a while to find out because they both need to get a lot further before they are equivalent. So. Yeah. Um, so we're coming to the end. Do you have a, a thing, a pick, a fun? little whatever today i've been um doing a lot of time lapse lately uh, mm-hmm. which is something that i got away from for quite a few years um 
mostly because now with the uh, little Sony 6300 and before that the 6000, I've always had a small little camera with me. And I think every photographer should do this if you're going to go out, shoot some portraits, something like that. Just throw a camera on the steps somewhere. Get like a vaguely interesting frame and let uh, time lapse click through because most cameras have the option for interval shooting built right into them. And nine times out of ten you come back with nothing but once in a while <laughs> i've been getting worth some, watching yeah stuff that's on yeah. my reel that mm-hmm. is oh, only there okay. because while i was doing another job because my priority is generally video yeah my setup is a lot longer i'm in one location for quite a bit longer so you might be like ah eh, we'll probably be here for an hour that's plenty of time to get a cool time lapse and the software has gotten a lot more straightforward with it as well um i've been using apple's compressor for stuff uh, before I used to, well, I round trip through the old QuickTimer, then I used Lightroom for it. Using this now, I can bake a time lapse through in about 20 seconds. That's like a 30 second time lapse. Cool. Uh, super quick and grades really nicely. And uh, I've been using some motion control stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw at the show the Syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I didn't see that one. Really cool. Um, it all runs off cables basically it's a motion control system and they've been around forever but they've all been by our slider it's only going to work on this slider mm-hmm. um and then you're it's a complicated interface all this does is it sits on a cable and it says we're going to take this long to move this far so you can put it like on a little those little pico dolly things you can tie one end of the cable to a tree one end to another tree Crazy. and you've got this giant rolling slider move in it um, I just stuck it on a rag on my kitchen floor and shot up at the skylight. <laughs> I don't even understand what you're talking about then, but uh, I'll have to look at a picture. It's uh, Well, just think about uh, something dragging itself across a cable. So yeah. as long as you've got the two ends wrapped around something or a paperweight on it or whatever, uh, you can get really creative. A customer brought in something where he tied a cable to the top of a hill, bottom one on a post, and it had the dolly track up a hill as the sky's whipping around. And so it's crazy. super accessible and really affordable. It's oh. like nine hundred dollars for yeah. this thing that works with any slider, or oh. um, you know, they're showing it for cable cams, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so it's it's been fun. And if you wanted to do higher end time lapse, it's always been so expensive. The you know, the barrier of entry has been so high. And now, for the first time, I think we're getting to the point where it's like, you know, nine hundred bucks. You know, again, it's the price of a lens, right. but it opens up some really cool creative options, and it's less threatening for photographers. There's no sound. That's the thing <laughs> yeah, that scares right. everybody. Totally. You Cam- all know how to Cam- compose. Cameron was talking about getting into doing some time lapse. So. Oh, you should do a time lapse episode with Cameron's journeys through time uh, lapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, since he figures it out totally. Yeah. yeah, he's just kind of starting and excited about it, but not sure. Uh, oh yeah, we should do yet. So. We should do an episode after he's yeah. dabbled for a little while. That yeah, would be fun. Totally. Um, okay, my things, uh, I had a couple built up, so I'm going to rattle through them pretty quick. Uh, FXPHD, which is a training resource for video professionals, and I had referred to their or recommended their podcast, the uh, RC, mm-hmm. previously, which is a lot of the influence of this podcast, like just a show for pros. Um, they recently announced a huge change to their pricing structure for FXPHD, which is... Um, it's really high end training stuff. Like most of it is meant for VFX stuff. So, uh, I don't know, software that I don't use or yeah. understand flame and nuke and, and all this right. stuff, but they also have courses about producing and lighting mm. and, uh, DPing and, um, directing like they do. And at a really high level, like not right. like L- Linda is a great 
resource, but it is meant to it's be for more dabbling. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of more for generalists, and this is for people that plan to have a job right in the, in this field. So uh, I really like it. Have you looked? I haven't it? looked at it. How's yeah. the production on it? Like, oh, is it like, watchable? Oh, it's so good. Yeah, really, it's, it's excellent. Okay. It's it honestly, it's the best in class for this kind of stuff. Really great training. So it used to be that they would have courses like semester courses that you'd sign up for. And I did it once and I went through a semester, but you kind of, it, then it's more like school. You kind of have to like right. be available. And uh, now it is more of like a flat rate entry hmm. uh, like Linda. What's the flat rate? Uh, for? I, don't remember. <laughs> I should have written it down, but reasonable. Yeah. Reasonable. And I'm going to, I'm going to at least do a month or two where you like subscribe and you can see everything at once. So yeah, a fixed PhD, fantastic for any sort of, video production stuff. Um, also the video I recently I talked about a minute ago from Tofino, which was all shot on the A7R. I did all the grading with impulse. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the LUT pack from who makes it vision color. I don't know who made and it. And they seem to be connected to color grading central in some way. They seem to have a partnership. I don't something. know. Yeah. I don't know how they're all related, but uh, if you search for impulse with a Z Zed. at the end, you will find it. And it, um, they're pretty nice. They're yeah. um, they're filmy, but they're not. I think a lot of different LUT packages they're filmy, but they're all going for one extreme narrative look. Yeah. Where these I find a lot more subtle and a lot more pleasing. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Uh, a lot of the time when I'm shooting, I'm not trying to convey a lot of blue or a lot of red. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that is a really weird thing when you buy a preset pack and it's like, here's the cold nighttime look. It's like. I can just shift the temperature to blue yeah. if I want to add a lot of blue. You don't have blue. to bake a ton of blue. Exactly. Into it's like it's subtlety. It's extreme subtlety that I'm looking for in lot packages. Yeah. Um, a tip, though, in how I ended up using it was I found that it was not uh, – I, I still needed to add quite a bit of contrast and saturation to get them to really rec 709 look. Yeah. When I'm applying them to S-Log with their S-Log preset, it was not as con... It didn't have the, the punch that I expected, so... Yeah, I think that's there's that huge trend for the lifted blacks look right now yeah. that's slowly driving me crazy every time I see a credit card commercial. <laughs> uh, and a lot of these LUTs are geared that way, uh, but the beautiful thing about a LUT package is you can work underneath it. So, yeah, pull those shadows back down or even do it before you apply the LUT. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, you can get some really nice... I really like the impulse LUTs, and I think I said earlier on this show the... Um, Speed looks are something that I do right, use yeah. really regularly. And sp- speed looks, I think of as being, they're really good at doing the clean yeah, version. The, the clean looks are Their the, clean, the straight look is one of my favorite profiles. Yeah, yeah. yeah not terribly cinematic, but it looks good. And gives you, you, yeah, it gives you like a starting point. Yeah, it's a great starting point. Yeah. And you can always bake things in afterwards. Okay. Anyway, thanks, Jordan. Uh, see you next Vegas. Next, <laughs> or, next Vegas. See you in Hopefully it'll be a little more exciting. Yeah, uh, Photokina. That's when we'll uh, talk. Okay, yeah, yeah. we'll talk Photokina. Or the time-lapse episode. Or that.